Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Good morning. Man, that was fun last night. We had a great time with all of you there. That was great. And Marty, it was great to hear you sing again. I don't know how many of you know this, but Marty uh, was a member of our church in Kent for a number of years and got tired of me and looked for another Hollis and so uh, moved down this way and has some other former members of our church in Kent with us here. The Rockles family is with us in the back row there. And we had a great time. La- By the way, it's fun to see all the guys again. Last, uh, let's see, was it May we did the men's retreat and uh, had a great time. It was fun hanging out with the guys, playing games. Good stuff. So it's exciting to be back here amongst all of you again. And uh, <clears throat> now to be able to share God's word is a real, is a real privilege. I would love for you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. There's a story I want to read together today that is a unique story in the Bible because obviously many of you may know that Jesus was pretty well known for doing miraculous things that no one else had ever done before, but you have four different historical accounts of the life of Jesus, and they're called the Gospels. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of them have target audiences that they were writing to when they were giving their account of Jesus' life. Well, this story that we're going to read today is unique in that out of all the stories of miracles that Jesus did, this is the only story that appears in all four of the Gospels. It's the only time that all four authors cover the same exact story. And so there's some significance with this. And I thought, uh, I think it will be important for us to understand the meaning behind this and see why it is that everyone shared this story. Now, before we get into this, I, I need to ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation that you weren't sure what to do? You, you were uh, either confused or you were afraid or you were pretty much just lost at anything to, you know, maybe there's a problem before you and you just were at a loss of how to deal with this. Well, I had a situation like this I want to tell you about before we jump into uh, reading this. When I pastored up in Kent, Washington, um, I was a senior pastor of church there, started a church. We pastored there for 12 years. And pastoring, you, you get to enjoy a lot of different experiences. Some of them really, really fun and exciting, and some of them not so fun and exciting. But this one time, we had a new family come to the church, a new couple. And uh, my assistant at the time came to me, and she says, she says, Brett, uh, there's, a, there's a new couple, young couple here at the church. They would love to have an appointment with you and meet you and, and get to talk to you face-to-face. They've been coming for about two months and they would like to talk to you about maybe ways that they could get involved. They, they have kind of a background in doing youth ministry and so forth. They'd like to uh, visit with you about. Sure, that'd be great. So my assistant lines up the appointment, and I'm waiting for them. Now, this, this appointment was kind of neat because I just got new furniture in my office. My wife uh, went with me down to this furniture store, and we picked out uh, a new red couch. And it was bright red. It was leather, but it was bright red, and it had silver, uh, like, Armrest. It looked kind of like a, almost like a motorcycle. It was just a really cool couch, and in fact, it it even 
folded out into a bed for those times I didn't want to go to the board meetings or, you know, whatever the case was. It had little compartments underneath that I could hide my candy and, and everything. And it was, it was a neat couch. So really cool couch. And then we got these two black leather chairs that would sit side by side facing the couch. And this was going to be uh, one of my first appointments with my new furniture. And I was excited about this. Well, I'm waiting, and all of a sudden, my assistant says, they're here. I said, okay. Well, I get up from my desk, and I had uh, my office was fairly large, and I had a window that went from my office, a large window went from my office. I could see out into the main office. And so I see the office door open up, and, and uh, the, the man opens the door, and here comes his wife, and she's walking like this, and she's quite pregnant. And she walks in the building like this. I was like, oh, wow, wow, okay. And, you know, I wasn't going to ask her if she's pregnant because that would be ridiculous. You don't want to ask a woman if she's pregnant because, like, I remember one time when my wife was not pregnant after our second child and someone asked her at church when she was due. It was the worst ride home I've ever had from church, right? So I wasn't going to, it was obvious. There was no guessing. She was pregnant. And she's walking like this into my office. Well, I open my door and I say, well, hi, I, my name's Pastor Hollis. Hi. And I look at her and I'm like, my, you're, uh, you're getting ready there, aren't you? And she's like, yeah. Well, you know. And I said, how far along are you? She goes, oh, I could, I could give birth any time now. And I said, you know, we could reschedule this. It's not a, you know, it's not a, no, no, we want to do it. I said, okay, well, come and sit down. And I introduced myself to her husband and they sat on the red couch and I sat in my chair and my assistant there and we're talking and, and everything's going fine, doing little early introductions. And all of a sudden the, the gal goes, <sighs> and she feels her stomach. And I'm like, and I look at my assistant and, and I look back. I said, are you okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. I, <sighs> she does this. I said, are you sure? I said, you know what? We could reschedule. I mean, I, if, you're, if you're ready to go anytime, maybe it'd be best we reschedule. No, no, I'm fine. we really want to have this appointment. Okay. So we keep talking. And as we're talking, a few more minutes go by, and she goes like this. <laughs> and she grabs onto her stomach. And now I'm getting a little nervous, and I look at my assistant, and I'm thinking, um, maybe it would just be best if, if we did this after the baby has come, whatever. Nope, they were insisting on it. Another five minutes goes by, and all of a sudden, she goes, ah, oh, ah, and her husband goes, honey, are you okay? And she goes, yeah, I, I didn't tell you, I've been having really close contractions all day. And I'm like, how about if we just, we'll just call it good for tonight. It was like an introduction. No, I, I'm okay. And husband's like, honey, how come you haven't told me this? She goes, well, I don't know. I didn't want to worry you or whatever. But he says, honey, you're, you're doing time. I'll be fine. All of a sudden, she goes, oh, 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 and she stands up and she goes, oh, my water broke. And her pants are soaking wet. And so is my new couch. And there is a puddle of water on my couch. Now, you know how sometimes you will see things and you will think things, but you don't say them out loud? Well, this is one of those times where I saw her and I saw my couch and my thought was, that's not normal water, is it? Because does that stain? You know, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, this is my couch. I mean, what, you know, I'm trying to be sensitive to the moment. She says, oh, 
it's coming. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And I stood up. And her husband's like, what do I do? She goes, call the doctor, call the doctor. So he gets on his phone, he calls the doctor. I'm like, uh, and I turned to my assistant because I'm not really good in moments like this. And I, I looked at my assistant. I said, what do we get? And she goes, I'll go get paper towel. I said, okay. And she left. I'm like, why? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know why she's getting paper towel. And she runs to get paper towel. The husband gets on the phone of the doctor and the wife starts going, oh, ah, oh. And I'm going, um, and I, I don't know what to do. I, it's just me and her now right here. And I'm like, should I rub something? I don't know what to do. What do, what do you need? And she's like, oh, it's coming. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I look at my assistant comes out of the bathroom. She's got, you know how you have paper towels wrapped real tightly? She comes out and she opens it. And poof, they go all over. I'm like, and I, I'm doing this. I'm like, get on. She's going to have the baby now. Come on. She, she, okay, I'll be there. Husband's like, okay, okay, uh, hold on. And he hands the phone to me. And I'm like, what? Talk to the doctor. Why? And I'm, why am I talking to the doctor? Just do it. And I get a hello. And she's just screaming. Ah, ooh, ah. And the doctor says, hello, who is this? I said, well, uh, my name is Brett Hollis. I'm their pastor. He says, uh, what's going on there? And she is in the background. Ooh, ah. I said, uh, well, what's going on is your patient is about ready to give birth in my office. That's what's going on. He goes, okay. So uh, he says, here's what we can do. We can either send an ambulance to your office. Or you can drive her into the hospital yourself. I said, oh, no, no, no. Send the ambulance. Send the ambulance. I said, he says, well, well, where is, what's your address? I am so freaked out. I don't know. I'm like, ah, uh, uh, hold on. And I'm looking for, and she is yelling, ah, ooh, ah. My assistant comes in with all these paper towels. She is on the couch. I, she's being so loud, I have to get over by my window to talk. And I'm looking for a business card. I'm like, okay, here's the address. And I start telling him to him, okay, it's, it's, and I'm talking. And all of a sudden, my assistant yells at me and says, Pastor, you got to get off the phone and deliver this baby now. And I turn around and she, her husband has her left leg and my assistant has her right leg. Now she had her clothes up, but she, I look out there and another time I thought something, I didn't say it, but I looked at her and I thought, you can't be naked in my office. I'm a pastor. This, you can't do this. This isn't right. And and I was like, why do I have to deliver the baby? And my assistant goes, come on, the baby's coming. You've got to do this. And I said, why doesn't he? Or why don't you? Why am I the one? And she said, you've got to hang up. And I'm like, look, doctor, you've got to get here right away. And the doctor says to me, sir, I need you to calm down right now. I said, calm down. She is having, she's giving birth in my office. He says, calm down. Well, she starts screaming so loud. I step out of my office for a minute and I said, listen, you've got to come in. The doctor says this to me. He says, sir, if you do not calm down, I'm going to have you hand the phone to her husband and I'm going to have him slap you. So he says to me, and I am so confused and befuddled by this. I take the phone and I look at it like, who do you think, what? And I turn around and my assistant and the, the pregnant woman and the husband are all in my office dancing like this. And I come walking back in there and they all go, April Fools! And I, I said, excuse me? This is my first time meeting this couple. 
I said, excuse me? They said, April Fool's. I said, not only are you no longer welcome in church, I don't even think you're going to heaven. What in the world? I said, what are you, aren't you pregnant? Oh, yeah, I'm pregnant. I could, I'm nine months. And I'm like, but what about the water? She pulls a sandwich baggie out of her pants. And she says, I filled it with water and just popped it when I was ready. I'm like, what sick person carries baggies of water in their pants and just says, when they're ready to do this, this is ridiculous. It was crazy. I ended up hiring him as my youth pastors about three months later. It's a crazy experience. But, I, you know, it was one of those times where you just sit there. Oh, by the way, I should tell you this. I often forget to say this. The doctor on the phone was the husband's dad in on the joke. So it was just a very confusing circle for me. <clears throat> but you sit there sometimes and you're faced with things that you don't know what to do. It's like it's overwhelming, you look at your situation or your circumstances in life, and it's like, I, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to react. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. The story we're going to read is such a phenomenal story. Not only is it the only story of his miracles that all four authors cover, but it's a miracle that he did in front of more people and involved more people than any other miracle he did. And yet what it was is it was a response to a problem. It was a response to a situation. So let's look at this. Let's look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1. It says, sometime after this, and that's referring to a miracle he had done earlier, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Now, probably there was such a crowd of people because the Jewish Passover feast was near because it was a festival that all the Jews would get together for every year. They would come from all over the place, wherever they lived, they would, they would come and gather. And Jesus had become quite known, quite popular at this time. And so he's got a lot of people that are wanting to see some things. They've heard about him. They've experienced some things. And so they're following him. In verse five, it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, let's just pause there for for a second. It's interesting. It's interesting to me that he just picked Philip out of the crowd of his disciples. You know, he hung out with 12 guys on a regular basis. Philip was one of them. He turns to Philip. He says, Philip, what should we do here? How are we going to, where are we going to buy enough bread for all these people? Well, why did he pick Philip? Not quite sure, but Philip did grow up in this area. This is where he was from. So he would know where all the good bakeries were. He would know where all the, the good bread is. But whether that was the reason or not, Jesus asked Philip. He just point points him out of the crowd, and he says, Philip, what should we do here? And it's, it's interesting here to see that Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. He only asked this to test him. Now, I want you to understand something this morning. 
God already has a plan. He always has a plan up his sleeve. And in fact, even when we pray, we are not praying for God to be aware of our plans. We are praying so we can get in his presence and become aware of his plans. And so God, God always has a plan. Jesus had a plan. There was something that he had already decided that he wanted to do, but he wanted to ask Philip. Now, now I love this because many times we ask questions because we really don't know the answer. We, we, have, we have a question, we ask it. A great teacher, however, will ask questions to draw the answer out of their students. And Jesus himself, in the Gospels alone, is recorded of asking over 200 questions. Now, Jesus didn't ask 200 questions because he didn't know 200 answers. He asked 200 questions because he wanted to draw it out of his students. And Philip, he wanted to draw out of him because, see, Philip had been with him since the beginning, and Philip had experienced miracles of God. He had experienced Jesus casting out demons. He had experienced Jesus healing people. He had experienced people seeing Jesus do all kinds of things that had never been done before. So I believe when Jesus particularly asked Philip this, it's, Philip, have you learned that nothing is impossible with me? Have you learned that I can do all things? Have you learned that I have a plan up my sleeve? And for, for John to record here that he said this only to test him, Jesus will test you. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times we want God to use us in big ways, but are we willing to go through the small tests to get to the big things? Let me tell you what I mean by this. Years ago, it was back in the early 90s, I had been asking God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to use me. I want you, you know, all these things. And I remember one day I was, I'd gotten out of my car and I was walking to a building for a meeting and I saw a candy wrapper on the street. And I walked by that candy wrapper and I know the Holy Spirit said to me, pick that up and throw it away. Now you might think that's really weird. And so did I at the time, because I said, that's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> right? I said, my, look, I throw mine away. That is not my wrapper. But it was so heavy in my spirit that I'm halfway across the street and I'm like, arguing with God, that's not my wrapper. I don't even like Snickers. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm like having one of these conversations with him. I get across the street. It is so burdened in my spirit. It's like, why do I have to pick it up? And I probably look like a guy just talking to myself on the side, you know, but I'm like, why do I? I didn't even do that. It's a, go pick it up. Okay, oh, well, you know, go over. I pick it up. I bring it over. I put it in the trash can. And this is the lesson I learned. This is what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. If you're not willing to do the little things I tell you, you will never be willing to do the big things I tell you. So if you're not willing to pick up a Snickers wrapper, even when you don't understand, even when you're confused, even when it's not yours, even when you don't think that's your job, if you are not willing to do that, you will never be willing to do the big things that I have in store for you. So you better start learning to be obedient to the little things. And Jesus will test you. He will test you. And let me tell you something about tests that God gives. He never gives a test to fail you. He always gives a test to prove you. See, when a car is manufactured, they test it 
They test it to make sure it functions properly. They test it to make sure it's doing everything mechanically it's supposed to do. Same with any product you buy out there. When God creates you and God, and God puts things out there for you to do and you proclaim, let's say you're at church this morning and you're proclaiming faith in God, God will test that faith not to destroy it, not to make you look like a failure, not because he's out to get you, not to cause you to fall. He will test you to prove you. He will test you to purify the faith in you, prove the faith in you, grow the faith in you, establish the faith in you. Philip, what should we do? I want to hear, Philip, how much you understand about me now. I grew up in a, in a family. We hunted. Uh, I had an uncle that was a gun collector and really got me into hunting and collecting guns. And, and it became so important to me it really became my identity and it became my life. Like I really wanted to have a lot of guns and I really wanted to do well hunting. And I remember years ago, I was cleaning all of my guns and I laid them out on, a, out on my bed and I was just looking at them and I was serving the Lord. I was a youth pastor at the time. And, you know, and I felt like the Holy Spirit challenged me and said, would you give those guns up for me? Would you give me those? And I'm thinking, what would you do with them? <laughs> I mean, you don't even need a gun. You know, I mean, like what? And I'm like, and you know what? I didn't answer. And I looked at him and I looked at him and I looked at all those guns. And this is what I ended up saying to him. I'll get back to you. And I meant that. And I didn't mean it to be sarcastic and I didn't mean it to be rude. And I didn't mean it to be funny. I meant it because I knew that however I answer this question, I better stick to it. And if I say to him, I'll give them to you, I better really mean it and be ready to give them to him. So I said, I'll get back to you. And I prayed, and for the next three days, it drove me crazy because I kept thinking, why? Why would I have to give these up? What does it matter? Why? And and yet, in the midst of it, something began to surface in me that I didn't realize before, and that was, wow, they mean more to me than I realized they did. Wow, hunting and guns have become my identity, and I didn't realize that before. And how many of you realize that there are times God will test you, God will question you, or God will allow you to go through something and it's really not the issue. What you're going through is not the issue. You being laid off of work is not the issue. Your neighbor causing problems is not the issue. Someone else mistreating you is not the issue. The issue is what it surfaces within you. That's the issue. But sometimes we want to point our fingers at everybody else and point our fingers at circumstances and blame everybody else when God is saying, here's the funny part. That's, they're not even, that's not even the point. The point is what it just raised up inside of your character. That's the point. Because what I'm doing is I'm using them to get to you, to raise this to the top, to scrape it off and put the fruit of the Spirit in you. So I'm testing this because we need to make sure whatever's in you is pure and right and of God. And, you know, here was the interesting thing with my guns and my hunting. I ended up coming back to the Lord with a very sincere heart and saying to him, you can have them. You want them, you can have them. If you want me to get rid of them, you can have them. You want me to stop hunting, 
I'll stop hunting. And I'll tell you, if to some of you, you might be like, Boy, this guy's pretty shallow. I, that's my thing. Maybe it's hot rods with you. Maybe it's computers. Maybe it's houses. Maybe it's cruises on a ship. I don't know what it is with you, but to me, that was my important thing. And that's something God put his finger on. And he said, would you give it to me? And I came to the place where I said, I don't want to, but I will. And you know what happened? He let me keep him. And not only did he let me keep him in the next few years to come, this was the craziest thing. People started giving me guns that were dream guns that I always wanted and I could never afford. And I had blessings come from places I never dreamed. And I had trips offered to me that I didn't know I could go. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there going, this is crazy. Because I finally had some dream guns. And when I got them, I remember saying to my wife, it's so funny that when it's finally not that important to me, I get all the things I want. And that's the point. When it was finally no longer my identity, when it was finally no longer my life, when it was finally no longer my goal, guess what? God said, okay, now I think you can handle it. Here you go. But now let me tell you something. God is going to test you, and he might test you on hobbies. He might test you on collectibles. He might test you on whatever you're into. And, and don't sit here and think, oh, I'm just going to tell him, yeah, I'll give it to you. So then, you know, I'm at work for Brett. Maybe I'll have a Corvette given to me. That'd be awesome. Because you know what might happen? He might let you keep them, and he might let you be blessed with a whole bunch more. And he might take them. He might still take mine. But we have to be ready to say, Lord, whatever you're doing here, I'll give it to you. So, so be ready for Jesus to test you. But know that when Jesus is testing you, it's because he has a plan in place, and he's getting you ready to fulfill a really great plan in your life. So here he asks Philip this. Now listen to how Philip answers this. This is verse seven. It says, Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Okay, either Philip was just making a wild guess or he really calculated that out or he's just really good at math. But he's looking out there, okay, so I'm gonna carry the two minus the five, double, eight months wages wouldn't take care of these people to even have a bite of food. Now, you know what the problem with that, that equation is? This is like the first big story problem ever. You know what the problem with the equation is? Philip left something out very important. He left Jesus out of the equation. He was looking at what you cannot do. He was looking at the impossible. He was looking at, well, let's see. We have a whole bunch of people. We have no food. We have no money. That equals starvation. So that's our problem. He left Jesus out of the equation. We need to look at our situations and look at our problems going, let's see, let's see. Problem plus person equals Jesus Christ doing something great. Problem plus Jesus plus situation equals miracle. You have to involve Jesus in the equation. Jesus was waiting for the answer. Are you going to get to the right answer, Philip? Because I'm standing right here. We can do the impossible together. It's funny because we will look at things just like the, the next disciple. Look at verse 8. It says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five, five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? It's so funny that we have a tendency to look at what we don't have instead of what we do have. 
Well, he's got that, but that's not going to do any good. And how many times do we miss what we really have because we are standing on top of it to look over the fence at what the other person has? Or we're looking over what God has already given us because we're looking at something we don't yet have. And Jesus is saying, what do you have? In, in the other accounts of this story, Jesus says to them, well, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? You say, well, I don't have a lot of talent. Well, what do you have? Well, I don't have a lot, a lot of money. Fine. What do you have? Well, I don't have a lot. What do you have? Listen, all of us could go walk. We could all go home and we could go out into our garage and I'll guarantee you we'll find things that we have. And it's just sitting out there waiting for a nice garage sale one day. And there's all this stuff that we have, and yet we ignore what we have, and we focus on what we don't have. And Jesus is saying to Philip and Andrew, what do you have? Give to me what you have, and you're going to see something that's going to marvel you. You're going to see something that you never dreamed you could see. I mean, how many times? Look, they're faced with a problem. Twelve disciples... Now, we'll get to the exact number here in a moment, but it says that there were 5,000 men that was besides women and children. So realistically, you're looking at a crowd of about fifteen to 20,000 people looking at you, hungry, and Jesus says, feed them. You're like, yeah, we got a little problem here, Jesus. See, we don't have anything to feed them with. And how many times do we look at our problems and say, Sorry, I can't help you. I had the strangest experience on Wednesday. This last Wednesday, I drove up to Arlington, Washington, to speak at a school. And I'd never been to the school, so I did the whole Siri thing on my iPhone, and I punched it in, you know. She's doing really good, you know. Go five more miles on Interstate 5, take the Smoky Point Road exit, whatever. Okay, so I do. She says, in 400 feet, turn left onto Smoky Point Road. Okay, so I do. She says, cross over Interstate 5. And then 40 feet, turn left and get on Interstate 5 South. You ever talk to your phone, you know? And I, I said, I just got off Interstate 5. Now, I'm the only one in the car, but it's me and Siri. And I'm, I said, I just came from there. Why would you send me back there? In 40 feet, turn left. And she just kept repeating it. Well, I thought, well, maybe I spaced out and, and didn't see an exit. Okay. I get on the freeway, back on the freeway going south. And in less than a minute, it was like 30 seconds into my drive getting on the freeway. This is what Siri says to me. Pull over and park near Interstate 5 South and get out and walk to your destination. I wrote it down because it blew me away. I wanted to record it. I'm like, what? She says, park near Interstate 5 and get out and walk to your destination. And I didn't know whether to yell and throw my phone out the window or laugh because I was like, I have never had Siri give up on me like this. I, you're telling me to park on I-5 and walk? I don't even know where I'm walking. I couldn't even see anywhere on the map. And then when I wouldn't pull over, this is what she said to me, and I'm being honest here. This is what she says. I can no longer help you park your car and walk to your destination. You, you know, I just want to crush the thing. But how many times are we looking at something and we're like, I can no longer help you. <laughs> you, better, you better go get your own bread. And the disciples are sitting here, 
And this, is, this part with Andrew is probably my favorite part of the whole story because he says, well, Andrew says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, here's the funny thing. We don't know anything about this boy. The Bible doesn't tell us any details about this boy. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. We don't even know if the boy offered it. We don't know if Andrew's like, hey, what do you got there, boy? You know, <laughs> give me that. Hey, we have... Uh, we have some bread, if you small, leave me alone. You know, we don't know. Now, I'm guessing that the little boy did a little offering. It's Jesus. Gave it to him. We don't know anything about this kid, but here's what we do know. Out of fifteen to 20,000 people, he's the only one that came prepared. Out of fifteen or 20,000 adults, parents, kids, this little boy is the only one who came prepared. We don't know if he packed his own lunch and said, ah, I'm going to go follow this Jesus guy. I think I'm going to take a lunch. We don't know if his mom said, hey, if you're going to be out there following Jesus, go ahead and take a lunch. We don't know. All we know is this kid, this kid was the only one who came prepared. See, God has prepared you with certain things that no one else has. And it might seem real small to you. You know, these barley loaves, they say that they were made with the cheapest of grain. That was kind of the poor man's food, the real cheap. And the fish... Uh, some scholars believe those fish were like small little pickled fish that you would use as hors d'oeuvres. Really not a lot. In fact, that probably would not have even fed the 12 disciples. Andrew's like, yeah, but how far is this going to go? I mean, I'll have some, but you know, how, how far is it really going to go? Honestly, Jesus, right? Well, look what Jesus does here. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. I mean, I, re I really want you to understand how many people are here. This was thousands of people. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, which, by the way, give thanks for what you have and stop complaining about what you don't have. It's all perspective. We need to start living our life where we're thanking him for what we have and not complaining about what we don't have. Jesus gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with fish. As much as they wanted. 15 to 20,000 people got to eat as much as they wanted. Listen, I grew up in church. I've pastored churches. I visited churches. I've been to a lot of potlucks. I know how much some of you eat, right? We know. I saw you last night. I was here. You're sitting out there and you're eating as much as you want until you're full and saying, I'm done. Jesus let it keep coming. He didn't do it with fire. He didn't do it with bells and whistles. He didn't do it with all these cartwheels. He simply handed them the food and as they took it, it multiplied. Do you know that some of the greatest miracles in your life are not the big, loud, whistle-blowing miracles? They're just everyday life that when you hand it to God, he multiplies and he blesses. And here's something you need to, you need to, well, let, let, actually, let's go on. They all had as much as they wanted to eat. Verse 12 says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. <laughs> like each disciple had his own lunch pail now. 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Everyone had as much to eat as they wanted, and 
there were 12 baskets left over. What an amazing miracle took place. And yet, none of it would have happened if one little boy did not come prepared. See, the bread and the fish in his little sack, it's like his little Lunchable. It was ordinary bread and fish until he put it in the hands of Jesus, and it all of a sudden became extraordinary. And those tools you have at home, maybe you're really good with your hands. Maybe that hammer looks just like a normal hammer, but you put it in the right hands of someone who gives whatever they do to the Lord, and it becomes extraordinary. Whatever you do becomes extraordinary when you give it to the Lord. And isn't this crazy? That boy, that boy got more to eat by giving it away than he would have if he kept it to himself. If he would have hid behind a rock and just kind of eaten by himself, he would have all, that's all he would have had. But here he got to eat as much as he wanted, and not just him, everyone else. Here's another lesson I want you to walk away with today. That boy thought he came prepared for himself but he really came prepared for the multitudes. And God is doing something in your life today that's preparing you. He's getting you ready. And whatever God is getting you ready for is not just for you. It's for the multitudes. It's not just for you. It's for your neighbor. It's not just for you. It's for the person down the street. Even the spiritual gifts we read about in Scripture, those spiritual gifts are not for you. They're for you to be gifted to bless this person over here. So the Christian walk, it's not about you. It's about him and it's about other people. And when you come prepared, know that you came prepared, but God brought you prepared for everyone else. They had as much as they wanted to eat and all these leftovers, and you've got to wonder. We don't know any more about this boy, which I think is actually really cool because sometimes God will use you and you won't get any credit at all. And that's really a great place to be. We don't know the boy's name. We don't know his lineage. We don't know where he came from. He's just a boy with a lunch. But you got to wonder what that kid was like on the way home, just like kept looking in the bag. How come it didn't grow on the way there? You know, I mean, how come, you know, and did he think from now on for the rest of his life, this was always going to be the case? You know, it goes to school the next day. How many people want a Twinkie? Trust me, there's plenty to go around. Let's just put it out there. God will bless us. We just have to be thankful. That's all. Here's my point today. God has called you to be a problem solver. The church has been called to be problem solvers. So there's a lot of problems in this world. All you have to do is watch the news tonight. Watch the news. Problems everywhere. We are faced with problems all the time. But God has given the church the answer. And Jesus will test you. He will, when you see a problem out there, it might be in your family, it might be in your school, it might be in your community. Jesus is going to whisper a question in your ear and he's going to say, how do you think we should go about this? Where should we buy bread for this? What should we do? Because see, he's proven to you his power. You've experienced him. You know him. Now he wants to say, now listen, you are called to be a problem solver. I want to challenge you, all of you, Look at your community and say to yourself, or say to God, rather, what problem have you called me to solve? God, what problem have you called Mountain View Christian Center 
to solve. You see, there are problems in this area. There are problems in the Ridgefield area. I don't know what they are, but there are problems in this area that this church has been called to solve. And you need to be seeking God and saying as a church, God, what problems have you called us to solve in this community? Because you're not here just to exist. You're not here just to gather for yourself. You're not here just to have a nice Sunday gathering in a potluck. You are here to solve problems. The good thing is you don't have to come up with the answers. You just have to follow the one who does. And you can say, God, prepare me today to be used to solve the problems that come my way. And here's the thing I, wanna, I, I really want to encourage you, and it's, it doesn't go against what I just said. It, it goes right along with it. Being a problem solver, you need to have a new perspective. I remember visiting an elderly woman in the hospital one day. She had had a hip replacement surgery. And this gal, she was the most amazing lady. She had a smile that lit up, uh, lit up the room. I mean, she was amazing. Great godly woman. I was her pastor, and I was going to go to encourage her in her hospital visit. And so I walk in there, and I'm talking to her, and I'm thinking I'm going to be a blessing to her. Well, it ends up she was a blessing to me. The nurse comes walking in while I was there, and the nurse says to her, she says, Mrs. Graham, she says, do you have any problems today? And this lady got that big beaming grin, and she says, oh, she says, young lady, I don't have problems. I have possibilities, and I have opportunities, but I don't have problems. And I just went, <laughs> I see I'm here for me, not you. It changed my life. It changed my, that was back in the 90s. It changed my life. Because I have now been able to look at situations and say, yes, that looks like a problem. But God, instead of calling it a problem, show me the possibilities. Show me the opportunities and show me how you've prepared me for this. Prepare me when I don't even know it. You, you know how David, David was just a shepherd. He was watching sheep all the time. He didn't realize God was preparing him. Do you realize that sometimes God prepares you without you even realizing it? David's watching the sheep. Next thing you know, he's standing before a giant named Goliath. And King Saul says, you can't take him down. He's too big. He says, nah. He says, I've been watching sheep. I killed a bear. I've killed a lion coming after sheep. He's no different. God used that to prepare him for a giant, which prepared him to be the ruler of the nation. God's preparing you. He's preparing you to solve problems, but you got to do your mathematics right. Don't leave Jesus out of the equation. Say problem plus Jesus equals miracles. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this group of friends. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your word, which is true, it's right, it's perfect. Lord, your word divides, your word conquers, your word crushes, your word blesses. Father, I pray this word today would go deep into the hearts of everyone that's here. We have purpose on this, on this planet. Lord, Mountain View Christian Center has not existed here all this time just to be here. It's not a country club. It's a problem-solving group of godly people. Lord, there are things in this community that are some people are facing some hard times. I pray, God, that each one in this room 
would take up the role and the responsibility to say, God, what problem have you called me to solve? Lord, prepare me, fill me, use me. And Father, we know that that boy, to that boy, it was just another day. It was just his little lunch. But that regular lunch, that ordinary lunch turned extraordinary when it came into the hands of Jesus. And so, Father, help us to give you all that we have. Help us to put it into your hands and know that this isn't our power. It's not in what we do. It's in what you do, but you do it through us. And so, Lord, we thank you that you test us. We thank you, Lord, that you prove our faith. We thank you, Lord, that, that you build us up and not tear us down. But, Father, I pray for every person here today. Put in their minds right now, put in their spirits right now, things, Lord, that you've been raising them up, preparing them for. I pray, God, that instead of trying to <clears throat> look at or think about the things that we don't have, and instead of complaining about all the stuff we don't have, help us to be excited and thankful for what we do have and to give it to you and watch you bless it. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church, these people, these friends, and I pray your heavenly blessings on them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for your hospitality, your kindness, your love. We love coming here. Thank you, Brandon, for allowing me to minister here today. And I turn over to you, I think, right? God bless you. Thank you so much. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.